Welcome to Radio Worldview. I'm August Tuckabee. The Radio Worldview podcast exists to teach students to live and think with a biblical worldview so that they can serve Christ and lead the culture. Tune in every week for perspectives on the arts, current events, and how to apply a biblical worldview to every aspect of reality. Thanks so much for joining us. Hope you enjoy the show. All right. Well, welcome back on the podcast, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It has been a minute, but we are back up and running, and I think it'll be a good thing. Good. Yeah. Um, So today we are going to be talking about the priesthood of all believers. You thought that would be a good podcast topic. We've been talking about it a lot at the Abbey, so it seems appropriate. So what book have you been reading? I see Piers Plowman over there. Right. Uh, We start our second semester at the Abbey by reading both Piers Plowman by William Langland and then On Christian Liberty by Martin Luther, so we're really at that moment of the Reformation. We okay. typically date the Reformation from 1517 when Luther nails his 95 theses to the door of the church. And um, one of the things we emphasize with our students is, of course, there are Christians who lay the groundwork for that. The Reformation doesn't magically happen with Martin Luther. Nobody thought of it before. Nobody thought of it afterwards. Of course, there's pushback against the Roman Catholic Church beforehand. Uh, Some people know John Wycliffe as the morning star of the Reformation, Mm -hmm. and that's the idea. He's someone that started the ball rolling uh, to to get us to Martin Luther. So um, anyway, Pierce Plowman, the book that we read first, Langland is one of those precursors to the Reformation and one of the central ideas of Pierce Plowman is this Reformation idea of the priesthood of all believers. Hmm. And why was that like revolutionary at that time? Why was that such a big deal in the, the Reformation? You know me, I, I think in pictures, but I, I there, there's sort of the ladder of the hierarchy in the Middle Ages, and as radical as it sounds, Langland just takes that hat ladder and lays it on its side. So um, the medieval mind is very accustomed to ranking and organizing and ordering. And so the church has this nice hierarchy. There's just this nice ladder where you move from priest to bishop to... And you're talking about the Catholic Church. Yeah. Specifically. Specifically, right? right, Which is the church of the uh, Middle Ages. Um, And it's got this nice hierarchy and the idea of the priesthood of all believers lays that ladder on its side. Suddenly, um, hierarchy is no more. And of course, it takes a long time. It's not magical that it happens all at once. Um, but once the idea takes root, it shakes up the church, it shakes up the state. Um, one of the things that <clears throat> Langland did with Piers Plowman is he stirred up the Peasants' Revolt of 1380 in England, and he felt terrible about that, and he didn't want to cause the peasants to revolt, but with him insisting over and over again that every human is made in the image of God, that uh, uh, justice is justice for the poor and for the rich, and there shouldn't be two separate ideas of justice for two different people groups. With all of his insistence on these ideas, it's easy to see how things get turned on their 
ear pretty yeah. quickly. So what, what do you think is the application of that for these students, right? So it's good to look back into history and see this caused a revolt because of this revolutionary idea. But what do you guys get into with regard to application today? Yeah. And that's, I mean, there is nothing more applicable than the concept of the priesthood of all believers, which is basically the idea that you are responsible for what you believe and how you work out your faith in your life. Um, the, the Catholic Church mitigated against that for more than a thousand years. The Catholic Church told the lowly cobbler, the priest is in charge of your salvation, right? Mm -hmm. Make sure you come to Mass. Make sure you come to confession. Make sure you do the penance that the priest assigns. Make sure that you walk in lockstep with what we tell you is going to affect your salvation. And to, to say, no, Christ calls me to follow him. Christ calls me to lay down my cross, me to die to myself, is, is to say... Nobody can be about this business for me. This right. is actually a personal relationship between me and my Lord and Savior. And so um, the practical applications are all over the place, right? I think mm -hmm. especially as students who are stepping out from the shelter of their parents' authority, beginning to own their faith as their own, then suddenly you get this wake-up call that's right. My parents can't tell me how to live a Christ-like life. At a certain point, I have to own it and desire to lead a Christ-like life. I have to be in the Word. I have to pray. I have to think about what this means for me, how I should respond to my roommate, how I should respond to these new authorities in my life. It's, it's as practical as it gets, and it's, uh, you know, you and I are still working through it at our yeah. advanced ages of our lives, right? You you never get past... Um, <laughs> there's a comfort in the priest just saying, here's X, Y, and Z, do X, Y, and Z. And right. you do it, you move right. on. You it's like, I, I did it, I'm good. Yeah. I checked those boxes, everything's cool. And the Christian life is so much more difficult than that. The Christian life is... How do I respond to my roommate? How can I be a better husband to my wife, a better father to my children? How All the questions that arise every day in this moral universe that we live in, there are answers in the Bible, but they have to be applied practically and immediately, and that is for every individual right. to do, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what's so wonderful about... I, I just love... I'm crazy about Pierce Plowman, like you know, and uh, it's it's so wonderful to have him. There's a moment where he actually has one of the characters tear up a pardon from the Pope in the book, right? And it's a super controversial moment because uh, it's the Pope. The Pope has issued this pardon that supposedly shortens your time in purgatory and makes you closer to heaven, right? Um, the idea of purgatory within the Roman Catholic Church is just uh, only Christians can go, but Christians have to go to be purged of sins that they've committed after they were saved. 
and there's going to be suffering and there's going to be torture and it'll be a while until you purge yourself and you get to heaven. And so because of this idea of purgatory, then the Pope starts issuing these pardons and indulgences that will shorten your time in purgatory. But in the book, the pardon only says do well and things will be well with you. And mm-hmm. uh, immediately the the character in the book recognizes, right, that's that's on me. That's yeah. not something that the Pope can give me or the priest can give me. Right. Like that's, that's my thing. Mm-hmm. I have to do well and you have to do well and I can't do well for you and you can't do well for me. And just that, that moment of this faith is personal, this faith is my own, this faith can't be managed for me by someone else it's a it's a remarkable moment in history so you take that and then you fast forward to martin luther and uh uh, martin luther has two things that langland didn't have one he eventually realizes he's not a good catholic uh langland never does figure that out um but but number two He's just got a loud voice and that sort of elbow-throwing personality that allows him to break things. And uh, once you combine some good biblical reformational truth with that personality, then the Reformation really is underway. Hmm. Gotcha. What do you think? um, Do you think the church does a good job of understanding this concept today? Right. Like, and I mean, I mean, like, kind of, yeah, I'd say evangelical churches, whatever, Catholic churches, but just uh, the church at large. I think the churches that I know of tend to think that at least what, what I feel like is caught from the congregation, if not taught, is that most people, most congregants don't read their Bible. Most congregants aren't serious about their faith. And so the way for them to, be closer to the Lord. I guess even the way that, that you become a Christian is you profess your faith and then you just come do things at church, right? Or at least you stay away from the things that hinder you, right? Yeah. And it's much less of a challenge from the church to say, this is your faith, it's to do what God's calling you to do, and much more of a, like, uh, okay, I'm so glad you became a Christian. Now just stop doing bad things, right? Yeah. yeah. Like it just seems so different to no, me you're right. than this perspective that we're even talking about. You're right, and you're right to all your languages pushing it back to worldview, which is where it goes, right? Because um, when we still have this sacred secular idea that there's two different realms, then we think like, yeah, going to church is being a Christian, and I am a Christian, so I'm going to church. But then I have this secular life over here, six days where I work mm-hmm. and play, and then I go to church. And so I'm taking care of business in both realms, and everything's fine. And yeah, I won't do bad things in the secular realm, right? right. But that's all I have to think about is just like, don't sin overtly in the secular realm. Make it till Sunday. Sunday, I'm a good Christian, taking care of good sacred business. And of course, that's the wrong way to think about it. God is sovereign. He is the maker of all things. He rules over all things. He rules over Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, yeah. all the way across the board. Well, and, and over secular jobs. Right? Exactly. He rules over secular jobs as well. Like there's no, there is no secular. There are no secular jobs. Right? There is only ministry. Yeah. That's the whole point of worldview. And yeah, that's that's the idea is, is we have to help uh, the next generation of Christians to hold on to this idea that 
Psalm 24, 1, God is the ruler of all, and that means wherever he puts you, if you're working at Burger King or you're working at IBM, wherever he has you, that's your field of ministry, and you need to totally own your faith and be salt and light in that place that God places you. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's linked directly to the idea of priesthood of all believers because it's really linked to this idea of, of owning your faith as a total worldview, of saying, this is mine, I have a relationship with Christ, and now I'm responsible for living out that relationship with Christ every day, every place, mm-hmm. everywhere I am. So, yeah, and yeah. I, yes, the church wrestles with this. You're right. And I don't think Worldview Academy, Worldview at the Abbey would exist if the church was doing a great job articulating this. They need to get better. We yeah. need to get better. Yeah, it's interesting because, um, you know, we live in a post-COVID world, and so you just think about like what did what happened to churches and what happened to Christians when all of a sudden churches were shut down, right? And I think a lot of people really struggled with mental health, with lack of community, but I think they also struggled with their faith because they didn't know how to study the Bible for themselves, right? Yeah. And I think that's, I don't know, like I've been going to a, a kind of a mega church or a, uh, an aspiring mega church, we'll say, like recently... And just so much of their programming and announcements and everything is just like, come to us and we will make you a better Christian, right? Right. And it's just like, if you just do these programs, if you just do all this, and it's like learning to read the Bible for yourself is secondary or tertiary at best. Yeah. And most of it is uh, just come to us and we will make you a better Christian. And it's just like, well, that's fine until you're not here anymore, right? Yeah. And and then what do we do? Yeah. Um, or until I move away. Like, not even you're not here anymore, but, like, if I move to a different city or if I, you know, this is a military town, Colorado Springs, so, like, there's people coming in and out all the time. And my question has kind of been, like, all right, are you really empowering these people to be independent Christians, or are you just saying, like, hey, I'm the mama bear, you just come to me, I'm going to take care of you, right? And that's not what we're called to. Yeah, that's really well said. And, uh, yeah, I don't – the only thing I have to add to that, I agree 100%, is just – you and I are both going to get accused of rugged individualism, right? Like it's like, oh, well, you're from the West and you you just think like you have to do everything for yourself and you probably built your house with your own two hands and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, right. We know the value of community. We understand that there's, there's admonitions in scripture. Don't give up on meeting together. That two and three need to gather together, right? All these ideas in scripture that we're part of the body of Christ and the body can't survive with just being all eyes or all hands or whatever. Amen to all of that. But there is, at the core of Christianity, there is, if you like the term, rugged individualism, that personal responsibility that cannot be handed off to anybody else that is yours and yours alone to be about the business of following Christ. It's Mark 8, 34 through 36. It's it's not Christ speaking to the church as an institution. It's Christ speaking to you to die to yourself, to pick up your cross, and to follow him. And mm. if that sounds like rugged individualism, I'm sorry, but yeah. it's it's the call of, of Christ on your life. And it does mean, like you're saying, 
you need to get good at reading his word. You need to get good at praying. You need to be good at the spiritual disciplines. And can the church help you get good at those things? Yeah. 100%. And we should be doing that as brothers and sisters together, but it's ownership, right? right? Yeah, and that's ownership is is a great word that encapsulates it because I was just trying to think. It's almost this idea of paradox of like you come to the body of Christ but you're also you you take responsibility for your work and your role within it, right? Yeah. You don't show up saying I'm just going to freeload or I'm just going to um, be a passive individual or a passive um, congregant. Like yeah. I'm going to show up and I'm going to take on the responsibility of the care of this church, right? Yeah. Which, by the way, I mean that. I think any church would say that's usually like 10 percent of the people across the board, right? Yeah. There's very few that actually show up and say they want to participate in all these things. So I don't know. It's just interesting. Yeah. And I think I think pastors are in a tough place because they're at a they spot are. where they say, I want to care for this congregation. How do we do that? Well, let's come up with these programs so that we can bring people through a discipleship process. But at the same time, it's like, well, all right, but are you like – in that discipleship process, are you empowering people? Yeah. Or are you just saying, no, we're the ones that are going to do yeah. all of it? So. Yeah, empowering is a good word, too. We use the word equipping mm-hmm. a lot, right, with worldview, um, because it's it's the we, we primarily deal with younger people, and the idea is to equip them, to hand off things to them so they're more and more ready to be about this business of following Christ for themselves. And the church wants to be that too. I think it puts an undue burden on youth pastors, right? Mm -hmm. So um, the senior pastor is kind of focused on the body as a whole. Youth pastors have this little group, but that little group is the group that most needs to be equipped, most needs to be readied for this next step of coming out from under mom and dad and owning their faith for themselves. And, you know, I think there's a lot of youth pastors that don't even have the vision really for what that that looks like. And yeah. it 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 if we're going to have uh, revival, then that's going to be a big part of revival. Yeah, yeah, that's a good word. It's a good word. Well, anything else to add on priesthood of all believers? I think it's a good conversation. Yeah, if you want to read. Pierce Plowman by William Langland. You really, really should. You should read the Donaldson translation. Um, So for what that's worth, if there's somebody listening and they're thinking, man, I've never even heard of that book. It's one of the great books in history. It's uh, miraculous in its reach. We have 50 existing manuscripts of this book, and this book was before the movable type printing press. So Mm. I mean, 50 existing manuscripts means it was a nationwide bestseller in England and really laid the foundation for the Reformation. So much so that people viewed uh, after the Reformation, they read Pierce Plowman and thought it was a prophecy of the Reformation. Wow. It's a wild book. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. So it's well worth reading. But um, other than that, no, nothing to add. Okay. Cool. Well, thanks for being on today. We'll be getting you on again soon. Thank you. And uh, the goal is that we're going to be putting these out weekly again. So here we go. Always happy to be here. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for joining us. For more information about our Worldview Academy summer camps, go to worldview.org. 
And for more information about our gap year program for college freshman students, go to worldviewbridgeyear.com. Thanks again. Hope we'll see you soon.